Hi, and welcome to the Well-Read Podcast, a bi-weekly discussion on books and reading. I'm Hallie. And I'm Anne. And we are librarians who love to read and talk about books. And today we are um, doing a topic that we did several years ago, which was picking books out of our comfort zone to talk about. But before we dive into that, I just wanted to see, Anne, how are you doing? How is life in quarantine? It's it's going. <laughs> <laughs> um. I think I am temperamentally in some ways very much set up for this life Mm -hmm. (laughs) and in other ways I am not Mm -hmm. Um, and it has helped that I have a ton of projects that I've been putting off Mm -hmm. so I'm trying to keep very busy during my non-working hours Mm -hmm. with with things like that so um, so it always feels like I have a little bit of a checklist to um, be concentrating on Mm -hmm. so um, but I'm I'm anxious I'm anxious about the world I'm anxious Mm -hmm. about the economy I'm anxious about uh lots of people that are out of um jobs and lots of people who have um poor health right now and so i'm just dealing with it as best i can so or how are you feeling are you about the same yeah i'm the same I've, i also think that i am sort of built for this kind of thing I'm such yeah a, i'm such a homebody but uh yeah i mean it's it's I go through waves I think like everybody does right now where it's like oh this is good this is fine I, lo- I love working from home actually and so that part of it's nice but then I'll have moments of like wow I really can't believe that this is happening <laughs> that yeah. this is really actually happening uh and then yeah. uh, uh we were just talking right before we started recording but I I just found out that we are working from home until at least May 15th and so that when I got that news that started feeling a little bit more significant to me like this is a this is going to take a while this is not yeah which I already knew but I don't know that for some reason that looking ahead like six weeks felt well not I guess not quite six weeks but we've already been doing it for almost a month it just felt like oh wow this is this is a big chunk of our year of our so so that but um but yeah I mean I'm generally I'm fine and I'm grateful to be healthy and so feel so fortunate to have a job where I can work from home um, yeah. And as I mentioned last time, I think that we had we had just moved when it feels like the same week that really things ramped up here in the U.S. is the same week we moved. So it's been nice to be home and get stuff done around the house, although I don't particularly feel like I have a ton of extra time. And I keep seeing people say about all the extra stuff that they're doing I know. or all the time that they have to read and stuff. And I think I don't feel like I have. I don't feel like my schedule has changed that much and I'm still, you know, I'm still working a normal day. I don't have a commute, which is wonderful, but I'm still working a full, full sort of regular day's work. And then I finish up and we walk the dogs and make dinner and I don't know. It just doesn't feel like I have all this extra time. So yeah, no, all the posts about like, here are the crazy things that I've done because I'm stir crazy and, and trying to come up with something to occupy my brain. Like that's not Not, at all my experience. However, we did start watching Tiger King last night. Oh yeah, me too. (laughs) It is bonkers. How much have you watched? (laughs) Just the first, the first episode. Okay. So Um, I was watching it with my coworkers and uh, about half of them didn't like it at all. So we had to stop. (laughs) (laughs) I was not one of those people I liked it we watched the first two so I was sort of uh I kept asking like can we watch the Tiger King because we didn't have our tv (laughs) we we had a tv that was working and everything but we didn't have anywhere to really sit and watch it yet and so finally now we have it all set up so I was like I just want to know what everybody's talking about so we watched the first two episodes and I 
I believe we will be continuing. We are very curious <laughs> about where this is going. I said I couldn't. I mean, I felt like, you know, the whole Internet is talking about this show. But there, oh, were, yeah. there were major aspects of it that were still a shock to me. Like the guy who basically is running a cult of young women who are sleeping with him. I was like, oh, oh I haven't gotten oh. to that part yet. Sorry. Oh, my gosh. Oh, oh, that wasn't in the first. Oh, sorry. So my comment <laughs> When I was watching, I can't believe this episode has turned into Tiger King. <laughs> of course it has, because that's what everybody's yeah. talking about. Oh, so my comment to my coworkers when we were we were doing it through Watch Party mm-hmm. on Netflix, and I always said, "I'm so mad that I never went to that Myrtle Beach, oh, uh, no. uh, private zoo just just because I love weird road tripping." I guess would be the right word for it, and that seems like I totally disagree with what he's doing, but it also seems like the kind of thing I would have at least driven up and maybe driven past i don't know if i could have been talked into giving my money to it but Mm. but i would want to like go to the gift shop or something like that Mm -hmm. so um so missed opportunity from having moved away from south carolina but you're still in a position that you could do it yeah it wouldn't be that far we could just swing by on the way to hilton head one time yeah do it (laughs) (laughs) you can report back i will i'll let you know um all right so the let's talk about speaking of things that are not like i would i watch that show and i'm like none of this is it all in my experience of anything i have lived through in my life right yeah so that's part of why not even the cats part we're we're both not cat lovers so we don't get it i'm all about the dogs yeah (laughs) so so we'll come in two weeks when we both have clearly watched the entire yes tiger king we can talk about it next time um, we actually were made a, we do these lists, these recommended reads lists of, for fans of that are like for fans of different TV shows or yeah or movies and things. And we did it for fans of Tiger King. I think I saw that one come into my email. Oh, did you? If I'm remembering it right. It will be the funniest thing ever. Because I don't think we have a topic for next time picked out. So next time if we're, we're like, here are Tiger King adjacent reads. But it would be nothing we would be familiar with because it's not our world at all. So yeah. I don't know how we would swing that. I don't know how that. we would do that. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't think we should. I'm not saying we should. It would just be really funny to me. <laughs> so this week we did out of our comfort zone reads. And the way we did this was we did two picks for the other person and then one pick uh, that we picked for ourselves that were, that each were... Something we wouldn't usually pick up, right? Is that how you would? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I actually found it kind of hard because of what I've been reading the past couple of years with my reading committee. I didn't feel as like as sure of myself of like, oh, this is definitely something that I I wouldn't usually read. Did you have a similar? Well, and that's the thing is that no matter what, we're we're well read. So, uh, so even th- I mean there definitely are subgenres that I don't that I don't read as mm-hmm. much and so I d- I was able to find things but some of them are things that I just like you picked things for me that I have definitely read those genres mm-hmm. before it's just not my go-to mm-hmm. so it wasn't it wasn't so much like oh this is this is unheard of mm-hmm. for me it's just not my preference right well and it actually kind of ended up working out because as we talked about in our last episode right now, I'm definitely gravitating towards things that are feel good or very much in my wheelhouse. So one of these I was reading right around the time that I moved and all this was starting. And so 
it definitely was not a comfort read for me. And so I, it's right. still definitely, even though it, I'm reading more of this type of thing that we're going to discuss today than I used to, it, you know, I, this still felt not what I would have picked up, I would say, or not, right. not what I was maybe in the mood for. So, um, all right. Anything else you wanted to say about sort of the setup for this episode? We've, I think this is our third go round. Oh, is on it? This, I thought it was our second. I think so. No, I think it's because we did one at the first library where we recorded, and then we did one at the second oh. one. Oh, okay. So I think this is the third one. All right. Well, I believe you. Yay! Fun. Yeah, and we like it. It's it's a fun, it's fun every time. So. Yeah. Okay. Cool. All right. Well, what's your first one? Um. So the first one I'll talk about is the one I picked for myself. Okay. Um, and that is Magic Bites by Ilona Andrews. Oh, okay. I didn't know yeah. that this is what you were picking. Yeah. So I, I've read, I think, YA urban fantasy, but I've never read this type, this specific type of urban fantasy where it's like the mass market paperback that has a woman, usually it's her butt, in leather <laughs> and a weapon. And um, to me, it's very indicative of, um, or evocative, I should say, of my grad school years because it was the late 2000s and this was sort of the height of popularity of of this type of book. So I already kind of have nostalgic feelings toward them, even though I don't read them myself. Mm-hmm. So um, so I, I kind of wanted to read that, re- read this for that reason, because it, it just felt like a, a big, uh, a spot that I knew about, but it had never actually read anything. So um uh, one of my coworkers, this is her favorite author. And so um, I hadn't known that Ilona Andrews was a husband and wife team writing together who write under a pseudonym. And so um, so that was kind of fun to to discover that. And I kind of felt like from all of her talking about this and she she's constantly re- rereading the series that I, I sort of owed it to her to, to um see what the the fuss was about for her so um so this is the first book in the kate daniels series and it's set in an alternate version of atlanta and so so this world has both technology and magic but they don't have them at the same time so when magic is controlling the world then spells will work but phones don't and then the opposite of true is true of technology they're um what i mean spells but i can't think of a specific spell but but it's uh like the world just suddenly shifts um, from one one to the other. So when there is magic controlling the world, then there are all kinds of sort of astounding things that happen. But then when technology comes back, then magic has left a mess that has to be cleaned up. And Kate Daniels is a mercenary who deals with those messes. So there are various groups that are vying for control over the city. One of them is the Masters of the Dead, and they are necromancers who control vampires. Um, so vampires are almost more like zombies, but uh once they're controlled by um by these people or these these necromancers then they they animate um and then there's the pack and those are shapeshifters so you're you're werewolves and were other creatures so kate is part of neither of these she belongs to the guild which are mercenaries who fix the problems created by these these two groups and at the beginning of the book she finds out that her former guardian greg has died and he was uh, an official in another organization called the order of merciful aid that sort of acts as a police presence um, that's a little bit more official than the guild and kate used to be a part of it but she isn't anymore and i don't think we find out in this book why that is it's reference that she used to be but I don't I don't remember that we find out um 
So he, it's clear that he was murdered in a really horrific way, and it seems to be pointing to the pack, but there are inconsistencies in the police report, and so Kate thinks that there must be more to it. And so she starts investigating, and she finds that there are other bizarre murders, and that each side, the Masters of the Dead and the pack, are each blaming each other. And so she is called to a pack meeting by, uh, where she meets the letter, the uh, pack leader, uh, Curran, I think is how you pronounce his name. And I think he's going to matter more in the later books because he was very dreamy. So I'm assuming that that will become a big deal. Um, so they don't like each other at the start, but then they sort of form an alliance and they both believe that someone is trying to start a war between the Masters of the Dead and the pack through these, these murders. So I finished this a couple of weeks ago and I was writing this up last night and I could remember almost nothing about the plot (laughs) um which isn't to say that I didn't have fun reading it it's just that fantasy I I know this about myself fantasy is really really hard for me to string together um when it comes to the world building so anything that is mentioned that I don't immediately understand I assume that I've missed something and that I have to go back and figure out what it is but that with with this type of fantasy it very often hasn't been explained yet so I just waste a lot of time feeling stupid and like I don't I don't understand who all these people are um and this one in particular has a lot of different organizations and a lot of specific rules to this world so it was really hard for me to follow but it still was ultimately a fun book and I'm not sorry I read it I just don't think it's really the the thing for me mm-hmm. but it had tons of action and there is a a very um no-nonsense heroine who fights her own battles and so you can definitely see the appeal of a book like this to lots of readers and I kind of wondered I might read another one just to see if if that if maybe this first one was getting the basis of the world in my brain and then if I read more that if I would I would understand it better um and I definitely liked it better than epic fantasy so that's that's also a plus so so still not my my thing but it wasn't uh it still had a bit of a mystery to it and that made it kind of a good through line for me so it was it was fun and that is magic bites by alona andrews i've been wanting to read those in fact i think i have the first one on my bookshelf downstairs but i was just thinking there's a former co-worker of mine loved a series that sort of sounds similar i'm gonna have to look it up when I'm not talking. Oh, is that the the Karen uh, something moaning? Yes, Karen Marie moaning. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, and she loved those books. So I started reading them, and I would read them, and it was the same thing. I would not remember what happened other than, like, a vague sense that, oh, yeah, I kind of liked that. And then I'd read another one, and she kept saying, like, there was one point that they – it was her favorite book, so I was going to try to get to it, and I never did. I think I read, like, three of them. But I could see the appeal of them. But, and it sounds kind of similar to, to what you yeah. described. So, um, I think it's just built for certain brains. Right. Like other other people's brains latch onto that a little bit right. more and, it, and mine does not. So. Yeah. so anyway, well, yeah, you'll have, to, you'll have to report back if you ever decide to go back and continue. I will. Well, so the first one I'm going to talk about is one that you picked for me. It is Ooh. The God Game by Danny Toby. Uh, so this was a... Oh, I totally don't remember assigning this to you. Okay, I was just sitting here as you were talking about your first book. Like, I know what my one book was for Anne, but I have no idea what my other one. Was. So it's gonna be a surprise. Yeah, I don't. We talked well, it was about tricky this for a you. Long time ago, a really, really long time ago, and it was also tricky because you're doing your yeah, reading list right. assignment, and so you asked that I pick things that you 
could read for, for that, that as yeah. well. And so I picked, I think, I think I picked one thing that I had read and the one thing I hadn't. Yes. And so I don't have yeah. that sense of, of ownership, I right. guess, over it. Right. So, yeah. So you had, and you had picked one for me that I was on the wait list at the library and it was such a oh, long waiting yeah. list. And I thought, I don't know if I'm going to get this in time. Cause originally we were going to record this episode a while ago and then I moved and then the coronavirus happened. And yeah, so, we put in some other things yeah, in front of it because we had other, other topics yeah, that so, sounded fun. Exactly. So uh, anyway, so this is The God Game by Danny Toby, and this is the one you have not read. I think it just came out right. in January, maybe. So it's a really intriguing premise. It's about a group of high school seniors who are kind of misfits, I would say. They're not, they're not truly like outcasts or anything, but they each have their own thing going on that makes them just a little bit out of kind of the norm of their high school and they're part of a computer club and they like to they like to pull little pranks on people and mostly harmless pranks just like silly kind of high school things but one day they stumble on a game that is this like old school uh what I can't think of what you call it, like text-based game you know where it's like you type in the commands and it's not like a visual game. And so they find it and they start play. two of the players or two of the um, two of the members of this group start start playing. And the, they're clearly communicating with like a bot or something on the other end um, who refers to himself as God and starts giving them assignments, basically, or like tasks to do. And it's it seems like this this thing that's on the other end of the game has knowledge of what's actually happening in their lives. And so they get points in this game as they do things. They are asked to do things in the real world that end up having pretty significant consequences and things escalate and they start being told to do violent things and sort of like, you know, the harmless pranks aren't so harmless anymore. I mean, some some pretty serious things. So it, it's, a, it's very fast paced and it's, it's almost like they're, it's like a video game kind of plot, um, as you would imagine, since it's like a game thing. But I will admit, I, I kind of skimmed part of it. It was right when I, <laughs> we were moving that I was reading this and it just was, I don't know, the violence just felt like too much for me. Oh, yeah. I am not like a gamer at all. So that part didn't hold a whole lot of appeal for me. So the Again, the premise sounds great, but then the actual reading experience for me, it just was not for me in this moment in time. Um, but it's a, it was a good science fiction kind of horror-tinged mashup, and it, ha- it was definitely fast-paced. So it's like a good thriller. I could definitely see it as a movie, very cinematic. But yeah, just the, the violent part of it got to me after a while. Like the, the things that they were instructed to do by this omnipresence on the other end of the game just started getting to me. So, so yeah, I, you know, I don't have much more to say about it than that. It was good. It was not my thing, though. It was not yeah. my thing. Uh, that's The God Game by Danny Toby. Yeah, when you first started out, it sounded, um, which I'm sure this is why I, I mm-hmm. assigned it to you, is because it sounded like a fun thriller. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Like, I feel like there's a movie that came out that even has a similar premise to that of, of some sort of, like, truth or dare sort of, sort of thing. Yeah. But involving social media and I can't remember the name of it right yeah. now but but it sounds like like just 
sort of intense in that way, but but I can't handle violence either, yeah. so I, I wouldn't it, it, Again, that. it was just the wrong timing for me. It was too much real-world stuff happening um, yeah. that was bringing sadness that I, this was not an escape for me. It just felt like more more kind of dark stuff that I didn't want in my life at the time. But So I really think it probably would have worked for me some other time. This was, It was just a case of bad timing. Um, again, not something I don't think I would have sought out on my own, but it would have been something I would have picked up and enjoyed um, for what it was. And, and this was just bad timing. Yeah. All right. What's your next one? Good, good try. <laughs> um, my next book is Space Opera by Catherine M. Valenti. And Hallie assigned this to me, but I've had it downloaded for uh, ages. How It came out in 2018, and I've had it downloaded since before that, um, whenever it, it was offered to me as a as a um advanced readers copy um because i was so stoked when this came out because it is eurovision in space and in real life i am a massive 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 eurovision fanatic um i don't know if anyone here knows me but if you know me you know this uh that i am obsessed with it i've been twice in real life my year revolves around it and uh so this seemed like a really good pick for me because um science fiction isn't my thing at all but I think it's a good tool to try things that are new to sort of find a through line from something that you do like that takes you to something that isn't in your wheelhouse. So, um, so that's sort of how I was looking at this. So I was, I was actually really excited when Hallie said, this is, this is what you're going to read. Um, and I've had the intention of reading this, uh, together with my best friend for a long time because we both were just so excited for, for this book. So I have to give you a little bit of, uh, Eurovision, uh, basics <laughs> to make it up make sense. So I will not be sad about that at all. Um, so Eurovision uh, started in 1956 as a way to bring Europe together after the horrors of World War II. And it is famous for being really kitschy and campy. And um, probably the most famous winner is uh, ABBA from 1974 with the song Waterloo. Um, so the contest is each country sends uh, each participating country sends one original composition and then they compete against each other and so when I explain this to people Americans usually say oh it's like American Idol but it's not really because that is trying to find a singer and um, it's all covers and stuff and this is to find a song and you have all this national pride that that's uh, built up behind it and it's it's just a much, much bigger scale. It's It has much more to do with the Olympics, I would say, than it has to do with American Idol. So so in this book, the rest of space uh, has fought a war over the question of which races of aliens were sentient beings, and the war was horrifying and devastating. And so afterward, they created the Metagalactic Grand Prix, um, which is a part song ca- contest and part beauty contest, and then sort of a continuation of the war in certain ways. Um, but it's just a massive, massive extravaganza. So... Every alien race has to compete. This isn't an optional thing. And the last place person will be obliterated um, if they're one of the newly um, accepted sentient beings of the of the galaxy. If you're one of the big names of the galaxy, you're fine. So um, it's really trying to grapple with all these different races who want to be accepted as part of this intergalactic community. So Earth has had no idea that this has been going on. Um, much in the same way that the United States has typically had no idea that Eurovision has been going on. And so suddenly one race of aliens appears to everyone on Earth at the same time, and they say that they have to find a a representative. 
um, and that they've picked a, a washed up glam rock star named Decibel Jones. And so he reunites with a former bandmate who he hasn't talked to in many years after the death of their third band member, and they have to write the song that will save humanity. So all the chapters are named after Eurovision songs, and the basic premise is the same as Eurovision, which I think is just so, so clever. And there are some correlations, um, like the first planet, that they're, they're sort of going over the history of the contest a little bit, and they say that the first planet to host was neutral in the war and also is a place where other planets like to hide their secrets. So that is clearly based on Switzerland, which was the first host of, of Eurovision. So this may have had, had other correlations, but I didn't find any because I hated this book <laughs> with such a fury in my heart that I can't, I was so angry reading this book. So I almost immediately started skimming it because the writing style is insufferable. It is smug and uh, it is, the book exists just to be a vehicle for the writing. There is almost no plot to the book. So I was so disappointed because I felt like the author could have done so much with this book. I think the idea is genius and there is so little correlation between the actual contest and of Eurovision and what she set up once you get the book started. And for someone who, that, as she claims um, in the back of the book to be obsessed with Eurovision, she put so few references in that it just was really kind of bizarre to me. So yeah, I, I just was so bummed out by this. I, I had been really, really looking forward to it. And it was, it was just a huge, huge, huge letdown for me. So <sighs> I'm Better sorry. luck next time. I'm sorry. So <laughs> it's this, not your fault. I know, but I was 50-50 on this one because I did not enjoy this book. I read it and I thought it would. I had much of the same criticism or critique as you do about the writing. It just did not work for me. It felt like she was. I felt like she's a very sort of cleverness for cleverness's sake right. kind of way of writing that that just did not work for me it got very tiresome uh after maybe 20 or 30 pages i was like okay i see what she's doing here i don't need to read any more of this book kind of feeling yeah uh, but, well she's very obviously smart right, very and so smart and very she yeah like good wants to show you how yes, smart she is yes, and, and i don't enjoy that and things like that yeah. but i was thinking that the euro though i mean truly the reason i chose it for you is because fantasy sci-fi is not really your thing like speculative fiction is just not your thing yeah and so i thought that was out of your comfort zone but the eurovision part felt like it would maybe be appealing you know i thought well right, like, totally that would be something so even though i wasn't purposely choosing something i thought you would hate i was choosing something that right even though i didn't like it i thought well you might um and you yeah. might in the eurovision might might be enough to suck you in so yeah if she had had like there were even parts where she was talking about specific contests where i was looking it up to see if i could find a correlation mm -hmm. because because that first the when she talks about that very first contest there is a correlation to it and i thought oh this is going to be i don't really like the writing style but this will still be really fun mm -hmm. and then um and then that didn't really seem to exist and, and maybe they did more than i picked up on but i know the history of eurovision pretty well and i i didn't find those things so the best part of it for me was every time they uh i got to a new chapter and they had another song as the, mm -hmm. the chapter heading i watched the youtube video of oh. that song and so that was really fun because there were definitely songs i didn't know um which also was a little funny to me because she didn't like there there's so many wacky songs from eurovision and she didn't pick it seemed like she just picked songs that 
had titles that went with what was going in that chapter, mm-hmm. which I, I know makes sense, but it seems like there's such a rich history of crazy that yeah. you could throw in there. And it, it just didn't feel like once they actually got to the contest, like there was very much detail about the contest. Mm-hmm. And, and I just was really bummed out by it. Aww, so I'm sorry. Oh, well. Oh, well. So my next one is Certain Dark Things by Sylvia Moreno-Garcia, oh, yeah. which you chose for me. And yes. I read this one so long ago. I feel like it's, <laughs> is it possible I read this before Christmas? No, we. I don't think we chose that long ago. No. Maybe February. I, yeah, it February was cold. Is... I read it when it was cold. That's why I was thinking it was before <laughs> Christmas. But no, I think it was probably February because, yeah, I wouldn't have read it in January because that's sort of my, my intense reading reading time so yeah had to have been February but anyway I so I was thinking to myself I don't know if I'm going to be able to talk about this book I don't remember it at all like I did not remember it but I knew I liked it and then when I sat down to put together my notes to refresh my memory before this episode I was like oh yeah I really did like this book a lot like it was (laughs) such a good book um so part of it is I I'm typically uh for the thing that I love about a book is typically the characters like I love a character driven book so something can have like no plot but if I if I'm appreciating the characters I'm fine with that um but this one for me I feel like the writing was just really really beautiful and she Mm -hmm. uh, writes setting and atmosphere really well and so um that was sort of the lingering impression I had like I didn't really remember the plot or the characters that well until I sat down to to look at reviews and stuff but I just remember this overall feeling of like very evocative kind of book like a, a like kind of a dark book and it is pretty character driven like the the characters are very well developed um for what is basically like a vampire story um, right but it's 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 like a literary vampire story kind of so it um one thing I've read actually another book by Sylvia Moreno Garcia and one thing I like that she does is she combines myths from different cultures um, and often cultures that we haven't always heard about the myths in the American, you know, we get a lot of like Roman myth mythology and Greek mythology, but we don't get from um, like Central and South American countries and things like that. So to me, the story felt unique, even though it, it was a vampire story about a, a person or a, a vampire um, running from like the bad guys so it's not a story that if you describe what it's about it sounds unique but the way she represents it it, it's different so the main character's name is spelled atl so i don't actually know how you would pronounce that is it adel or i'm not exactly sure yeah but so she is the main character and she's on the run her whole family has been killed by this this vicious godoy family um and so she's on the run she's hiding in mexico city and they have actually successfully banned vampires in Mexico City. And she's trying to avenge her family and survive and um, runs into a homeless teenager who is just absolutely struck by her beauty and, and wants to help her. And so she thinks, OK, I'll use him for this the short term to help me escape and, and get away. Um, but they end up actually developing a pretty a pretty sweet relationship like a a very kind of mutually beneficial relationship emotionally um versus her just using him um because she needs to feed on something 
Um, and they grow closer as they, so the whole story is them trying to get away um, from this, this family that's trying to kill her, but um, they develop feelings for each other and they grow closer. And then the ending is, was really, it's kind of bittersweet, but it felt, I mean, it is bittersweet, but it felt satisfying at the same time, which sometimes that bitter, like endings that don't end happily for me are feel unsatisfying. Um, but in this case, it felt really earned. I thought like the way she developed the characters and they, how they related to each other, it actually, the ending felt exactly as it should be. Um, so I'm trying to be very vague about how I'm saying that, but, um, uh, anyway, it was, it was good. I liked it a lot. It was, not at all a book that I would have chosen on my own. Um, I'm not like the vampire thing is not something that I particularly enjoy, but I thought this was done really well. Again, I thought the writing was just absolutely wonderful. Um, yeah, it was Certain Dark Things by Sylvia Moreno Garcia. Yeah, I, I I have very much the same feelings as as you did. I I kind of I wish there had been more of a plot mm-hmm. to it. Um, cause it did really just kind of feel like here's running from yeah. this bad situation and then here's a bad situation. And, and, um, I, I would have liked some different developments there, but, um, but I'm so pro any outside mythologies being used. And uh, I guess I can't say that cause there are other books that have done kind of similar things that I haven't finished cause I have been annoyed by them. So it doesn't, it isn't like a free pass on anything, but it, it's, it's just so refreshing to see a, a book that takes something that we know like vampire myths and then just incorporates everyone into it. And, and I really, really enjoyed that. Um, and it has such a, I, I picked it up because it had such a beautiful cover. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's just doing a lot of really good things. And I feel like she's she's written a couple of other books. Um, she, she wrote uh, Mexican Gothic mm-hmm. that I talked about mm-hmm. on the um, books we're excited about or the book preview mm-hmm. episode. And so she's she's definitely like on the rise and is doing very well with yeah. with diverse horror, yeah. which I think is really cool. Yeah, so it's awesome. All right. What's your next one? I can't okay. I wonder who assigned it to me. It was you. Um, this is The Duchess Deal by Tessa Dare. And I'm actually pretty sure that I have a Tessa Dare book on my shelf. Oh. And so, yeah, I think it's The Governess Game. Oh, yeah. Is that one? Yeah, yeah, okay. One. Um, so, which I think I got for free at work. And so I so I have that. And so I wasn't too sad when you assigned this because I have been meaning to read her. I just I just haven't. And it's just not really my thing to read so um so i was glad for the incentive to read one of her books so um the the female main character is named emma gladstone and she is a seamstress in london and she shows up at the door of the duke of ashbury to demand payment for a wedding dress that she created for his canceled wedding but she shows up in the dress And so the Duke has just learned that he has to produce an heir in order to keep his estates out of the hands of his unscrupulous family members. And he knows he's very invested in um, the idea that his tenants need need to be treated really well and that there are lots of people that are counting on him to um, give them employment. So he, he has to make sure that this doesn't happen. And so he decides that Emma will do as well as anyone else because he's retreated from society after he was really badly wounded at Waterloo. 
Um, so he has scars all over his face and body. And the reason his fiance broke off their engagement was because he is so scarred and, and it was so horrifying to her. So Emma agrees to this because um, she, he tells her that after the wedding, she can raise the child in the country and she'll have her own house and that um, she'll basically just be, be left to herself. And so she, just before this has had, um, or maybe it's right after he proposes, but she has a client who she realizes is pregnant and she's unwed. And so she decides that um, this will be a perfect way. This will be a, a, an arrangement that can help this this woman. And she has a history that has made her sympathetic to this client, but we don't find out until later what exactly happened to her. So, um, so the Duke says that the agreement is that they will only see each other at night and they won't kiss and that they'll part ways after she's pregnant. But she um, agrees to this, but she says that they have to have dinner together every night. And so they both are hiding very early on that they're super, super attracted to each other. And so he thinks it's not possible for a woman to love him because of, of his scarring and she's doing everything she, he thinks that she's doing everything out of pity, and so he doesn't want any affection from her. He doesn't want her to touch him at all. And she thinks that it's uh, a marriage of convenience um, on his part, and so um, he want, and she thinks that he wants nothing to do with her otherwise, and so she, she, does, she calls herself a broodmare and things like that. So um, needless to say, they have a lot of chemistry <laughs> together, <laughs> and um, they start to spend more time together, and she starts to sort of chip away at his issues and to draw him out, and he begins to soften to her and gets her to open up about what has happened to her in the past. And there also are the, the sort of secondary cast of servants who are trying to encourage them to fall in love because um he, the duke has been um so reclusive and so so they're sort of hoping that this will be the thing that changes things so i don't know is this supposed to be a beauty and the beast retelling or is yeah i so because it, it definitely is it is yeah yes yes i think i'm trying to think she has one series that is more directly all fairy tale okay based but this is not part of that so it's definitely influenced yes. at least yeah by by that because it's pretty it's pretty I blatant mean, yeah but yeah yeah because i'm trying to think of i don't i'm trying to think of the other ones yeah because okay so castles ever after is the one that I'm thinking of that those are very distinctly fairy tale. Okay. But this isn't part that one. The Duchess Steel is not part of Castles Ever After. But it sounds like she has an interest in yeah. it at, at least. So well, and a lot of um, that's a very kind of common romance trope. I would say is yeah is that premise. So um, that's not that unusual. Um, but she's done it a couple of different times, I think. So yeah, I think she's probably pretty influenced by that. Well, and it was it was kind of the the servants that made me mm -hmm. like it felt so much like disney beauty and the beast mm -hmm. to me that it that i thought this has to be on purpose to have them like yeah. hoping that they'll that she can break the yeah. curse yeah so yeah so so the whole thing is pretty ridiculous <laughs> but i think that's the point yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so all that, like it's just very tongue in cheek which was which was really fun to read and it's also very sex positive for women mm -hmm. because um the Duke expects her to be really demure, and she's not. And I prefer that messaging to the romance novels that I read in the 90s that had 
um, very fearful and shamed women um, participating in sex. And this also didn't have the she is a mess trope mm-hmm. that I really hate, um, that I find a lot in contemporary romance. Um, she's a really strong woman and she's really good at her job and she just is very bubbly whereas the duke is not mm-hmm. so um so after you introduced me to Re- Re- regency romances out the f- i think the first um uh, episode yeah. of out of our comfort zone we did i'm i'm not against them but it still is not exactly my thing yeah. um and i think i would still say i like the sarah mclean better uh, yeah. that i read yeah. um better than this one but it was still really light and fun um i'm still embarrassed by the steamy scenes <laughs> so i think i just need to accept that i'm a prude <laughs> yeah but you can just so easily skip over those you totally can i mean can. i do I often and it's not because they make me uncomfortable or anything it's just like yeah yeah i, I get it like yeah like, i don't know well, i always feel like why am i here yeah. this is a private thing between these two people and why am i a part of this so um, but i also think part of the reason i struggle with romance novels and this this really came out on this one which i hadn't really articulated before is that they sort of make me sad because I've had a lot of bad relationships yeah. and so I feel kind of triggered by that of of like I I don't have uh, like I've had a lot of long-term relationships and only maybe one of them was a really healthy it just didn't work out kind of mm-hmm. thing all the rest of them have been I've I've been treated pretty badly and have ha- been really disappointed by by lots of men mm-hmm. that I've I've dated and so so part of it I think is that I get I just get kind of sad mm-hmm. um, read like I don't read it and think, oh, that's so cute. There's there's so much, uh, you know, hope for the future. Right. I'm just like, oh, this is like and I but that's not the fault of the book. Right. That's just my own issues. Yeah. So um, I know that romance novels are not intending to have that be the emotional response that <laughs> <laughs> someone has. Um, but I did I did really appreciate this, that this one is really, really funny mm-hmm. and, and just so goofy. And so anytime I started to sort of fall into that. Uh, reaction it quickly had something that's just so wackadoodle happen in it that it kind of pulled me out and so um so yeah it was a good pick it was it was uh i probably will read another one of her books so oh yay that makes me happy good yeah good one and that is uh the duchess deal by tessa dare yay so my the one I chose for myself was the Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires by Grady Hendrix. Oh my gosh, we have so many vampires! I know. Books. I did not mean for that to be the case, I know. but I because uh, I didn't our know. Books are vampires. I picked this the same time you gave me my picks. I picked this one, and I didn't know certain dark things had a vampire in it. So anyway, yeah. Um. So people that I work with love, love, love Grady Hendrix. And I read We Sold Our Souls, which is his previous book, uh, last year for a reading list, and or two years ago maybe I don't remember. Uh, two years ago I think, and I and I liked it. It was good. I didn't feel like he like changed my world or anything like that. And so <laughs> I felt like I was just missing out on why people that I know and respect and get along with very well. Um, why they love him so much so I was like okay I'm gonna read this one it's it it either just came out or is just about to come out I think maybe just about to come out it is set in the 80s in Charleston in suburban Charleston so I was like oh this is gonna be fun this is like a fun thing so I do think I get more now after reading this book why he is so appealing to so many people it's still horror, so it's just never going to, like, this, I don't know. It's just never going to be, vampires are never going to be my thing. But um, I really, really did like this a lot. It is about a group of women 
who are in a book club. They're all stay-at-home moms, like housewives in the 80s. And they decide their lives are a little kind of stale, kind of boring. And so they decide that they're going to have this book club where they read salacious true crime novels. And <laughs> um, like it's their own little secret that they're going to do this. And they get really into it. They love it. And they um, they love talking about it and stuff. And then th- this guy shows up in their little suburban town. and Or I guess not a town. It's Charleston. But they're not downtown Charleston. Um, and he is very, very handsome and very, very charming. But he also seems to avoid going out during the day. And someday, sometimes is like seems really, really hungry but won't eat anything. And so the main character, Patricia, is like, something strange is going on and she thinks he has some sort of secret and at the same time children start going missing and so she's like this guy is abducting children and feeding on them he's clearly a vampire <laughs> as, as you conclude Norma- as no you obviously would conclude <laughs> and and nobody nobody believes her you know everybody thinks she's crazy and everybody just thinks she's been reading too many true crime novels but she believes it, and she's like, I, I, I strongly feel like this is going on. So she basically single-handedly decides to, to stop him and that she's going to figure out how he's doing what he's doing and, and going to stop him. So, so as, you, as from the description, I think you could tell there's a lot of humor here because it's like a kind of a wacky setup. But um, there's also a lot of good commentary on sexism and women and expectations placed on women and particularly at that time um it this is from the I don't know if it's like the foreword or the afterword but there's there's an author's note basically where Grady Hendrix talks about the fact that this is a very personal book to him because when he was a teenager he and his friends sort of thought their moms were kind of silly and spent their time doing kind of useless things like they 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 didn't see the value in what their their mothers were doing who were staying at home and raising families and and making sure dinner was on the table every night and things like that and so now he looks back and he thinks what strengths she has and like how smart she is and how much she can do and how talented she is um so it was sort of but that's where the the idea came from for him is like there are all these these women who look so like put together and perfect on the outside have all these secret depths of what they can do and and they're really like they're the strong ones and the men don't have a clue what's really going on um so there's just a lot to this book there's a lot of layers beyond just kind of a a horror premise of a vampire coming to town and abducting children and again there's a lot of humor to it so i get why people really love him um and and i'm glad i picked it up because otherwise i feel like my impression would have just been that other book that I read that I thought was just fine. Um, but I did yeah. really like this. It's The Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires by Grady Hendrix. I think he represents, too, such a fun shift in or, or expansion mm-hmm. of the definition of horror mm-hmm. to, to have... I mean, I guess horror has always had comedy to mm-hmm. it, but it doesn't feel like so much in the literary realm yeah. that it has. And so I, I like that he... Like, all of his books are funny horror books right yeah they're and they've all got this um cheekiness to them like it's just everything's like with a wink kind of thing and i totally yeah it's they're fun 
They're really fun. And if you haven't seen the paperback uh, cover for We Sold Our Souls yet, you need to go look that up immediately because <laughs> it looks like the cover of a Rolling Stone magazine. It's pretty awesome. It's about a, yeah. it's about a band. It's about like a rock band that sell, literally sells their souls for success. It's <sighs> a great idea. All right. So, okay. So that's it for uh, what we read that was out of our comfort zone. So we'll be right back with what we're reading this week. Okay, Anne, what are you reading this week? I read something very much in my comfort zone. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just finished the Truly Devious series Ooh! by Maureen Johnson. Yeah, I, I love that. the series. It's so good. Um, so the first book is called Truly Devious. Um, that's not the one I read. I read that two years ago, but I just finished the last book. And um, what I what stands out to me about this is that it's a YA mystery, which are actually kind of weirdly rare mm-hmm. for how big mysteries are in the rest of the mm-hmm. world. Um, or in the book world. Um, and this one is very, very solid and very complex. And it stands up, I think, to most adult mysteries out there. So I, I wouldn't, if if you're someone who stays away from YA, I wouldn't let that deter you at all in this. Um, the, the main characters are all teenagers, but it's a very, very uh, dark mystery. And um, there's a lot going on with it. So, and the best part is that it takes place at a private boarding school. Mm which I love. So it's in rural Vermont and the school is called Ellingham Academy. And it's a place where exceptional teeners, teenagers are allowed to be creative. So there are um, innovators and scholars and uh, visual and musical artists. And they're all kids who basically don't fit into a traditional high school because they're too driven, which is sort of unusual to, to see. Um, so they all sort of have their passion project that they, that they concentrate on. And so the school was founded in the 1930s by a man named Alfred Ellingham, and he's, he was a millionaire or a billionaire. He was very, very rich, and he decides that he's going to foster these kinds of kids. And so he builds the school, but it's also uh, eventually the site of this terrible tragedy when his wife and daughter were kidnapped, and his wife was found dead, and the daughter was missing um, and has never been found. And the there was um, only one clue, and that was a letter... Um, sign truly devious and it's a riddle that lists ways to murder so um it's it's pretty chilling and so this has been considered one of the most famous cases uh in u.s history that was never solved so in the modern day um, a teenager named stevie bell has dreams of attending ellingham because she wants to solve this case and her passion is true crime and she is accepted to the school on that basis so she also doesn't get along with her parents who are diehard supporters of um, a con man politician who is angling for power within the government. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so she uh, wants to get away from them because they're such huge supporters of this person. So so it's uh, kind of for two reasons that she's trying to get into Ellingham. So when she's there, she lives in a dorm with other kids who are driven by different creative pursuits and they're all kind of misfits. And so you have engineers and writers and um, one of them is a YouTube sensation and the school gives them all the means to be as creative as possible so um ellie or sorry so stevie begins to delve into the ellingham case and odd things start to happen at school um so there's there's stuff like um someone's hall pass to get into different areas of the school goes missing and then is mysteriously returned um and she wakes up at one point and there is a there's a version of the truly devious letter that's being projected on her dorm room wall at night 
and um, it's just all very creepy stuff. And so eventually someone turns up dead. So this book uh, really builds much more in the second book and then much more in the third book. So each each book is is uh, really interlinked, which I really love. Um, these aren't really three stories that tie together at the end. They're they're each pieces of one whole, which I think is cool. Um, but I still I felt like each book ended in a way that meant that I was so satisfied, but also so eager for the next one. And the ultimate solution of the entire thing is just so awesome. And I don't think you can go wrong with a murder at a boarding school. No, That's no. just fact. That, that is just fact. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so because they have two different time periods, you get multiple mysteries to solve in one book and they, they do all connect eventually. So, um, there, it's a funny book. There's some romance. Uh, it just kind of has everything that that hits every spot, and and it's, I just really really loved it. And I think that Stevie is, um, she's just a good character. She's she has a panic disorder, which you don't see very often in in books, and so she has he, she has to overcome some personal struggles to really find her potential. And and I liked that portrayal. And now that um, all three books are out, it's the perfect time to pick them up because you don't have to wait in between to read them like I did and you can just go from book to book so that is uh the truly devious series by Maureen Johnson yes I so I was going to read the first one and then I kept reading about how it ended on a huge cliffhanger and so oh yeah I decided to wait until they were all out so now I'm actually debating if I should do them as an audiobook or audiobooks or uh, I did them all on audiobooks okay. and yeah and they're really really good okay so now that they're all out I can start them. yeah You'll love it. Yay. So what I'm reading this week is Pretty as a Picture by Elizabeth Little. I'm about halfway through, um, and I can't wait to finish this recording so I can keep reading because I want to find out what happens. So it's about a woman named Marissa, and she is a film editor. And she's brought in to edit a movie right in the middle of shooting after the original editor has been fired. And she has typically done most of her work with her best friend, who's also um, a, a film director. And so, but she has done like jobs here and there, but this is for a big time director and there, it's kind of all shrouded in secrecy. Like she's hired the way she, the way they hire her is, is a little bit odd. They give her a still um, from the movie and ask her what she sees. And then based on what she describes as being, as seeing in the movie, in the still from the movie, they hire her, like the director is on the phone. So it's just this disembodied voice that is like, yes, hire her. Um, and, and she has to sign a 16-page non-disclosure agreement before she can go. And then it's on a – it's being – the movie's being filmed on an island uh, off the coast of Delaware. And so she doesn't know even where she's going when they're taking her there. Um, and so it's just all, like, it's all kind of mysterious. And so when she gets there, she realizes that they are filming a movie version of a true story about a teenage girl who was killed. And um, she's killed on the island where they are filming this movie. And the suspected murderer is still living on this island or near the island. Um, and he is just this kind of awkward guy who claims he was friends with this girl, which nobody really believes because she was beautiful and popular and he was really awkward and odd. And nobody believes that they were actually friends. And so everybody believes that he was in love with her and killed her because she wasn't interested in him. Um, and then the only other possible suspect is her, who, the guy who was her boyfriend at the time. Um, but nobody's ever really been able to pin it on him either. So everybody just assumes it's the awkward guy. So as the movie is, um, is in production, 
weird things keep happening to delay delay. So they'll be shooting and all of a sudden all the lights will like burst and go out and the power goes out and they can't film anymore. And so the the implication is that maybe the murderer is still around and maybe he is affecting the and interfering with the movie. Um, and and Marissa's kind of a very awkward person. Um, and she's also, she sort of identifies with the guy who is the main suspect because she doesn't really fit in either. Um, and she has a lot of anxiety. And so right now at this point of the book, it's actually a little bit uncomfortable because she is so anxious all the time about messing up. And she has all the, like her whole frame of reference are just is movies that she has seen. So everything that she sees in real life, she relates to a movie. Um, and she doesn't really know how to interact with people that well. And so she always falls back on like quoting a movie or referring to a scene from a movie. And so it's, um, but that just all adds to the tension of like, you know, there's something going wrong on the movie set. You know that there was a murder that's basically unsolved. And then you have Marissa, who is probably good at her job, but not very good at navigating the social cues of her job. And so it's all like very just tense the whole time. Um, so it's really good so far. I'm enjoying it. I have no idea who anybody is like why like why <laughs> not who anybody is but I have no idea like no sense of who actually was the murderer um in the original crime I have no idea why stuff's happening on the movie set so it's really good it's uh pretty as a picture by Elizabeth Little oh my gosh that sounds awesome <laughs> I need to get my hands on that it was very good it just came out I think like a week or two ago maybe oh cool or maybe I don't know now I've lost all sense of time. I have no idea what day it is. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> Last week I had to really like make sure on Saturday yeah. that I knew it was Saturday yeah. and not yeah. uh, that I hadn't slept past my alarm. Yeah. I know, I know, I have no. So I have no. Don't listen to me. I have no idea when this book came out. Uh, it, yeah. It's a 2020 book. I know that. That's all I know. Okay. All right. So let's go back and list off all the books we talked about today. Okay. I talked about Magic Bites by Alona Andrews, Space Opera by Catherine M. Valenti. Uh, the Duchess Deal by Tessa Dare, and what I'm reading this week is the Truly Devious series by Maureen Johnson. And I talked about The God Game by Danny Toby, Certain Dark Things by Sylvia Moreno-Garcia, The Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires by Grady Hendrix, and what I'm reading this week is Pretty as a Picture by Elizabeth Little. So if you would like to get in touch with us to give us feedback or a suggestion on a topic you'd like us to discuss, you can email us at wellreadpod at gmail.com. Find us on our Facebook page or on Twitter at wellreadpodcast. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your other podcast provider of choice. It helps people find us and brings more listeners to the show. Our theme music is Kitten by Poddington Bear. We keep our show notes at wellreadpodcast.wordpress.com where you can find a listing of every book we talked about in this and every episode. Thank you all for listening. Happy reading. I hope you're all doing well in quarantine. If you're reading anything good, please reach out to us and let us know. We would love to hear about it. Definitely. Talk to you soon. Bye.